You're listening to Duck Podcast, Episode 11, RF Ramblings. Welcome to the Duck Podcast. We're here in Duck Studios for... What are we celebrating, Kevin? Well, it's just a random tea party because we haven't had one in a while, I guess. I and also basically because I wanted to do a duck podcast because we have really have we really haven't done one in a while so yeah I think it's, it's time to catch up uh, two months now so uh, but basically today we finally bought some new audio equipment that I've been talking about for like three months so it was about time that we did something about it because mm-hmm. uh, okay. I, I always like last year was around this time where I got my mixer so yeah. uh, it seems like the fall is always the time when I buy audio equipment for some reason which is nuts yeah it's it's fall so it's time for new stuff you know like school and stuff like that anyway um, before we dig into that uh, I'm of course your host or semi-host or co-host or whatever you want to call it Joel Adria and I'm Kevin Lau, as usual, and in case you've here. forgotten me for some reason. <laughs> yep, we're here on Duck Radio. 107.3 FM. And we're here in uh, Duck, Studio, Duck Studios, also known as AHTR Headquarters, um, for all your networking and ad- business administration, or computer <laughs> network system administration, administration needs. Yeah. Um, HTR.net. And I'm, of course, Joel.ca. J-O-L-E dot ca mm-hmm. so um, a lot of stuff has happened since last time we had a podcast i think the last one was one of the duck podcast expresses yeah which it was 10-1 yeah well that was at the time when i was putting in the north star yes you were installing the uh the public well no it's it's well the key systems these days exchange. are all like somewhere between a key service unit and a private branch exchange. We might get into this later, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was the last last update, which was, I think it was July 24th. I think I was looking at the yeah, date. And we did it on uh, my little voice recorder, which was kind of random. Yeah. So why don't we, uh, why don't we start out with uh, what we are working with audio equipment today. Um, I am using the Behringer XM8500 that I've been talking about for a while about getting, and I finally splurged and spent the $25 on it. <laughs> um, rec- uh, <laughs> actually, it was supposed to be, like, it's been 20 bucks for the past, I don't know, like... Eight years or what? Yeah, like, I don't know. Anyway, so then all of a sudden, uh, of course, you, you know, our economic situation in Canada, our dollar dropped by 25 cents over the past two days, and it went from 20 to 25, so I ended up paying 25 for it, but... Mm-hmm. It's still less than a PG-48, which is the way, original... PG-48 went up to 40, so... Yeah, exactly. And of course, it comes with a cable and a case, whatever, but uh, anyway, so you're listening to me right now on the XM8500, and I don't know, I think it's a pretty good mic. Um, there's definitely a significant uh, bassier response, and I think the mids are probably a bit muddier and not quite as clear as some of the other sure stuff but nothing that a little bit of eq we found couldn't fix and uh a little later we're gonna have a little and kevin's fooling with my eq if you're listening carefully um yeah and later we'll have a little excerpt from when we were in the car and testing it out at the first time basically uh you know and i sort of describe how uh it's very not so directional. Yeah, just an introduction here. We're uh, currently on the east end of Edmonton. We're just picking up some new equipment. You're currently listening to a Behringer XM8500. Uh, recently purchased at Axe Music Edmonton. 
Um, recording into the M Audio Firewire 410 on the go. Uh, am I supposed to say something? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know if you want to take a listen, but basically my uh, first impressions, as you might hear, of the XM8500 is just that it's very, you know, I don't know, it picks up a lot around around you. It's not very uh, directional. I wouldn't say directional. Not very cardioid is what I would say. I, I, I haven't heard it, so I really can't give any comments right now, but I probably will hear it eventually. What I am enjoying is that I can just sort of throw it at you. Like, I'm just sort of, like, hucking it at your face, and how it picks was, you up. How was the noise uh, noise reduction on these, like, handling noise and all that? Well, that's sort of... It's pretty good. I mean, I'm sort of wobbling it around right now. I'm really sort of shaking it up, and um, obviously it's making some noise, but it's not making a ton. Uh, this is this looks like a scanner. I love the RE2. It's like, yeah, very telex grade. Let's see how telex-esque it is. Hopefully it won't be like blasting oceans, but I'll have to try it later. Right now. Yeah. Anyway, so that's our quick uh, live update of our the receival of our products. <laughs> but which, which is a good thing, because it picks up despite if you're far away or close. Uh, I don't know if the claims that it was very hot in comparison to a PG or SM58. Like, the marketing material says that it's, it's hot. It gives you a really hot signal out of it. Um, it's not, like, really that much of a difference compared to any of the Shure microphones, which is what basically what we're going to compare it to. Yeah. The industry standard, I guess. And but, well, uh, what I noticed is that, you know, I'm always piping into my M-Audio Firewire 410, as we are right now, and I just found that, uh, you know, I usually with, a, with an SM58, I have to pump it the gain up to pretty much the max. Yeah, which the SM58s, you do have to... Yeah, so, pretty you know, then I end up getting a lot of noise because, you know, well, it's a little preamp inside a, a Firewire 410, which are supposedly quite good. Um, but really, they're, you know, they get pretty noisy at the, on the high end. So, I mean, I found that the noise was very low on that, and that was, you know, that's what I was looking for. So that's really great that, I, that it worked out. Mm -hmm. You actually wanted to get it for quite a long time, except you just had to find the time to run around and yeah. get it. Today, but... we took our trip to Axe, and we talked with the guys. And Anyways, the other thing that I picked up was this lovely little mic stand. It's called On Stage Euro Pro or something, Euro something yeah well they're not behringer so i'm not sure why they, they call it like euro everything but yeah i guess euro boom euro boom is what it's called okay um and basically yeah it's a nice little it's a nicer stand. one than the one that we've originally been using at ducks dues which is uh i got it a one of those like desk lamp things and attached you know, those a, nice little ikea desk lamps you know just, yeah i just like took off the lamp part because the lamp part like caught fire anyway that's another story but uh i basically put a screw into it and then just put on a mic holder but it's not know, it's not shock it's, absorbing at all it's so worth for the past year yeah uh, sometimes when you adjust it that you can hear the springs Playing, yeah, it goes playing, 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 yeah. yeah. And anyway. at least this stand has a, a rubber washers and stuff like that. Yeah, it's so. it's a similar to in, in design to our K and M stands, which are actually like double the price. Yeah, I mean, K this these were twenty five bucks, and K and Ms are about fifty. And definitely, you can see that sort of the fit and finish on everything isn't that great. And also, I just wanted to mention that XM eighty five hundred. You know, it's yeah, it's no sure SM fifty. You don't get that sort of ooh, this is really you know durable sort of feeling, you know, yeah, you get like, like a PG yeah. SM. Although, we'll talk a little bit later about how 
we broke an SM58. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you know the plastic casing and all that. It's just you it's, know. it's one of those like slightly less serviceable models. Like the SM58 is, is designed to be serviceable. Well, I don't know if it's the, about the service. PG48 is is one of those like you can't you're not supposed to fix it. And uh, you mean the XM? I'm talking about I'm talking about my Behringer mic right now. Yeah, yeah. It's just I mean, that I'm comparing it to the PG48. I mean, I, I definitely that the the mic itself is looking pretty solid. And I'm going to take it out of the stand just right now, so you can hear a bit of the handling noise. Um, I just pulled it out of the stand right there, uh, and I'm sort of moving around. And you know, there's not too much noise. I'll be honest, that's pretty good because you know that's an important part, especially if yeah. The mic capsule has work. a has a certain amount of shock absorbing material around it. To hold it so that it yeah. doesn't like bounce around and like create subsonic debris everywhere. Yeah, and I'll have to try out the P- the SM or the PG and see how that how that is. But anyway, pretty impressed. The packaging and all that is kind of what subpar. I mean, you sort of get this little piece of paper that's been done in DOS that shows the graph. And, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just sort of a joke. But really, you know, if you're not too worried, if you don't, wor- if you just want to spend twenty five dollars on a mic. Hey, you get a little foam case with it. It's a f- nice foam case. Yeah, as it. like the the my PG forty eight obviously came with the usual sure bag. Yeah, I mean, which I don't know. You might like it, hate it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the XN eighty five hundred. Kevin, tell me a little bit about uh, the microphone that you bought. Okay, so uh, earlier Joel inherited some wireless mics, and uh, we'll talk about it in a sec. Yeah, and uh, one of them was a Telex that basically was like Joel describes as being aqua, or basically it has no, ocean. Ocean okay. sounds the whole time. All okay, the time. Anyway, <laughs> just imagine this. Keep talking. Yeah. Well, uh, I suppose it could be quite annoying, but anyway. <laughs> okay. So I I basically popped it open to see what I can do. Joel suspected that it was corrosion in the microphone, but I, upon further inspection, the corrosion really wasn't anything. It didn't. It didn't penetrate farther down from the just the top coating. So. I think the circuits were all fine from that point on. So uh, I moved on. I realized that some wires were severed, parts were blown up, and it was kind of odd in general. And then the, basically the problem was because the it's a condenser microphone that the the Telex USR two hundred kit that it was. And uh, actually, you could have gotten it in a in a dynamic model too, but the model that he has is a is a condenser. Anyway, the the field effect transformers or FETs. Basically, we're blowing up, and uh, their purpose is to basically change the impedance between a capacitive condenser capsule and uh, in the, the low-level line input or mic input that the mic is expecting here. Right. So you you know basically uh, most most wireless mics. I'm going to say most because I don't actually know, but most of them are going to be dynamic, and so there's going to be less of less of a potential to sort of blow that up. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, well, basically, with a dynamic mic, you don't have any impedance matching of that sort right. that requires power, which is why your condenser mics need power to run. Right. And uh, but anyway, I realize I, it's one of those like inverse from the rest of the mics in the world because you look at like the Shure and Audio Technica mics, and you realize that they did a really good job engineering the audio part, like the microphone capsule part. But then the RF isn't like. The greatest priority. So I I I think that the URSR two hundred was a large like they put a lot of effort into fine tuning the RF part, but I guess they didn't put enough effort into the audio part, which kind of kills it if you're really trying to use it in a professional situation. But anyway, I realized that well, okay, Telex makes pretty good mics, and then uh, 
inevitably Electro Voice went and bought them, and now it's part of Bosch somehow. What? Bosch? It's part of Bosch Telecommunications. It's, yeah, this what? takeover thing is random. That's weird. But, uh, okay, so uh, originally I, I wanted a, I like frequency agile systems. I, not like, frequency agile can be two things. It can be like having a, a just a selector dial between like four channels or, or having a rotary encoder so you can pick one from 99 channels. I tend to like the ones where you get to just directly enter in a frequency. And so I was looking for models that could support that because before that I had the stupid Memorex $14 like uh, karaoke style microphone which ran on VHF and uh, that was just horrible. It had like negative headroom. It clipped like really easily. And but hey, fourteen dollars, right? But I couldn't really use that for anything because it like sucked. So uh, looking around, basically, Behringer obviously off always offers the most attractive product, which is lowest priced with the most features. And that model was frequency agile and also uh, reported like battery low status and all that stuff. But um, for one, it operated between the seven hundred and eight hundred megahertz bands. Here in Alberta, the 800 megahertz bands are all used up by public safety. 700 megahertz is somewhere between TV and, uh, well, public. Uh, actually, the Alberta public safety system that they're going to implement soon. So, I w- basically, uh, in '98, when they realized, when all the mic manufacturers realized that they were going to start auctioning off this radio spectrum, they all stopped making uh, microphones that were operated in the 700 megahertz band. So they shifted down to 600 and below. Um, so that was kind of actually worrying me because, okay, it's frequency agile, but it's in the wrong band, or at least in a band that's not suited for this kind of, this area. Right. And, uh, okay, so moving on, at school we have this, uh, the TOA WS200, which is also really good RF engineering, but it has four channels and is really dangerously close to a, a local TV station that's just signed on recently, uh, which is uh, CJEO TV, Omni, Rogers. I'm not Yay. sure if we should talk about that, but yeah. Let's, sure, let's do off on a tangent. Um, basically, uh, cultural television. And we all know how much the CRTC loves the word cultural television. Uh, basically, it's same newscast over yeah. and over again it's in this, this is exactly, different yeah. languages. It's exactly the same format that they've been running on uh, Channel M in Vancouver, if you've seen the station. And uh, it was uh, it was owned by... It was actually independent for some time by Multivan Broadcasting. And then Multivan tried to apply for licenses in Edmonton and Calgary and basically expand across the country. However, the CRTC basically denied Multivan's uh, application. So they decided that, okay... We got denied, and Rogers got approved. So what are we going to do? We're going to die, right? So they just basically sold Channel M to Rogers. So Rogers got to try out the new Omni format in, in Vancouver, which was actually quite established already. So they had people, and they had the, the content to, just to try it out. And then, the, and then a few months later, when they finally got the Eminem station signed on, uh, they were able to just basically like move it over real quickly. Right. But and- anyway... <laughs> Okay, um, so what were you just... Anyway, getting back to the point, uh, so the TOAs, were, they're nice. It's a nice microphone, uh, but uh, it's not really frequency agile. You have four channels to pick from, and they're all on channel 55. <laughs> and here we have channel 56 Omni, and then channel 51 CKEM, which doesn't make me feel good. So, kept looking. You have, of course, you have the, sh- the Shure, like, P1 
PG series of wireless mics. They also make PG series for wireless. But uh, mm-hmm. I actually wasn't really attracted by them because they had internal antennas, which I don't know how you're going to set up. And uh, or they had uh, fixed antennas, or basically you couldn't change the channel, or they had quarter inch output, something like that. So moving up, I tried to look for the nearest telex equivalent, and this was the only model that well, the only model in this price range that they still offer, which is the uh, the RE2. And uh, as Joel said, uh, the Canadian dollar has been going down lately due to this. Uh, stock market recession thing and uh so axe has been really fast in raising prices like within this week <laughs> the prices have gone up twice and uh basically i was looking at the nd267 that's the mic capsule by electro voice but uh which started off as at 429 dollars and now that is selling for 489 and the 767, which I actually got, ended up getting, is now 512. But I tried to get the get a deal on it, and that came through for the most part. So pretty happy with the 767. The difference between the 267 and the 767 is that the 267 is just your standard uh, cardioid dynamic mic, and the 767 is a is a super cardioid dynamic mic with. Uh, Apparently, it's supposed to just be better than 267. I haven't done too much research into the mic capsule, but uh, it's an $80 difference from the 267, but yeah. Yeah, and so... Uh, I like the like I like the receiver. It gives you a lot of information. It's an LCD screen. It's uh, you, can, you can operate it in two modes. You have uh, just basically like group and channel, which if you don't really want to spend a lot of time dealing with, you can just pick a group, pick a channel. It has clear scan, which basically you turn off all your mics and turn on all the other mics that you have. And then you do a scan, and it'll basically find the, the clearest channel, which is in its own band. It has a 25 megahertz bandwidth. So you have a lot of room to move around in case you have problems with other systems. And uh, this operates in the 600 megahertz band, so it's uh, somewhere lower in the TV spectrum. And at this point in Alberta, we don't have any stations which could interfere with that. So not too worried about that right now. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, and overall, the sound uh, performance, I took, we did a few comparisons. I think it does... I think it offers actually a deeper uh, response than even the XM8500, which is deeper than the PG48. So, uh, you know, but overall, I thought it was a, it, it sounded pretty clear. So that was good. Um, yeah. So that was. The yeah, I even. still I still have to go into do some range testing or diversity testing yeah. with it. Uh, one of the features I like about it is battery reporting. It gives you a. a the mic itself has an LCD screen, which it show, which you can just switch into three modes. It can show you the group and channel, the battery level percentage, or the current working frequency. But on the receiver, you can see all of those things at the same time, and, and including a four levels of battery meter. So not only do you get to know it's it's low, it's it's uh, kind of more detailed than the Behringer. Actually, I like this because I. Got to uh, got to work with uh, Audio Technica 6000 series, uh, which actually has digital naming. You could basically name a pack, and then on the receiver it would show like which which pack or mic it would it was going to pick up. It was going to correspond to. Yeah, but I wasn't really going to drop you know six hundred seven hundred dollars into that kind of stuff. Oh. This isn't that cheap either, but at least it's less than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Overall, I'm still impressed with Telex's effort into RF engineering, but again, I still need to 
do some more testing into that. But so far, it's been good. Uh, obviously, I'm using it right now. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, pretty impressed. Um, yeah. So, let's just talk a little bit. So, we do have um, we have some SM58s. Right. Well, I'm just going to talk about the SM58 that we blew up. Uh, so, supposedly, the Shure SM58 is the most indestructible, indestructible mic. And, of course, we're... Um, we we like to go by what people say, but we also like to test things ourselves. Anyway, uh, we've been have we've had about two Shure SM58s in our theater. Yeah, yeah, one of them broke. Uh, you know what? It wasn't so, like it wasn't like a, a like a physical abuse breakage thing. It was, it was like the internal wires just snapped off. And which is the reason like, it, you know, I don't know. There's something wrong with that. The reason is because the SN50 is designed to be serviceable, which means that you can open it uh, and and basically mess with the wires. Whatever. Yeah. I'm just saying, for $120 mic, I'm not impressed. Yeah. That's all I well, have to say. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, moving on. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, um, at my church, we were I was just sort of going through our, our big sound closet there, and uh, we had a few. We had quite a few extra wireless mics just sort of sitting around because. At a certain point, there was, uh, you know, we were having a few issues with them. And uh, basically, you know, I don't know, someone just was like, how can we fix this problem quickly and efficiently? And he's like, well, yeah, we throw buy, money at it. We could buy new wireless mics. And so he's like, okay, I'll go and buy them for you. So we bought new wireless mics. Anyway, so these got, these, 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 uh, this set was just sitting there doing absolutely nothing. So I said, well, can I take these home and maybe play around with them? And they said, sure, you know, it's, they're yours. So basically, what I have, what I picked up was a pair of Telex lapel mics. Um, yeah, these operate in the air band, like 180 megahertz. 180 megahertz, and man, do I love these things! Basically, they are like what I—I I don't know. Kevin will probably debate this with me, but basically, I'm going to say they're interference proof. They do not like. There's nothing like I've, you know. They're just sitting around, like, in all this radio RF stuff, and nothing's happening. They're just, like, crystal clear. Um, they've got these really, these sort of bumblebee, what I like to call bumblebee uh, lapels on them. Well, obviously, they're all fixed, so you can't really change it with anything. Yeah, they're fixed. They're not, it's not like they're attached. They're just, like, wired into the box. I mean, so they're not great, but they are very omnidirectional, and they pick up a lot. So, I mean... I think for live uh, performances, they're probably not that great. Um, but I can see using these in different situations. You can just huck them on the roof or whatever, and you're picking up the whole room. We can literally they make they make better like ambient we, rooms. Is, is this plugged centers? in? Yeah, it could be. It could be really plugged in. Yeah. Actually, never mind. It's not plugged in. I yeah. maybe maybe later we can do add this into the end or something. Yeah, but, but the they just is, pick like, up the whole yeah, room. It's they, really amazing. Yeah. So it's it's more suited towards picking up the whole room, not like if you're going to hook it onto a shirt and run around on stage because yeah, you're well, definitely I mean, going to get feedback problems oh, before anything happens. You know, and there's definitely sort of a very high frequ high frequency response. But I think obviously I've pumped up the gain on these, and so it's it's so these are really suitable for like say like video applications where yeah, you're not like blasting recorded. the audio back out. But yeah, yeah, probably more recording applications. Plus, you're using it in a band where like absolutely no one is using it except for like military planes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the only yeah, and the other problem was, um, it seems to me I don't know, it wasn't doing it just now, but basically sometimes 
if you have the packs off and the receivers are on and it's not getting anything, sometimes it'll pick up something mm-hmm. and then just blast noise. So that's your disadvantage of uh, fixed frequency. If it, it really depends on your RF environment. Say, like, at Joel's house, something 183 megahertz is, is, is higher, causing a higher, like, noise floor. And maybe here there's a bit less noise floor. So, and then there's, there's no controllable squelch. I mean, actually, have you opened them up and see if there's a... There's probably a lot of, squ- you know... Uh, see if I know that a- inside this little box, inside of these little transmitters, there's lots of stuff in there that you can fool around with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't explored them too much, but I've been really happy with just how how reliable they are than just that there's no messing around you just turn them on away they go uh so these are really like the well. configuration free like you turn it on they're configuration it works. free but they do work so what do you need dials for if they're going to work on one with zero dials um anyway so that was one sort of it, and this these things are ancient like these are like prehistoric it's these big wt25 gray boxes it looks like something out of the flintstones but they work really well um, the other thing that I got was a pair of AT... Um, 7,000 series. 7,000 series. I think it's R75X receivers. 73. 73. Eh, maybe. I don't know. Um, something like that. And uh, also a, a pair of um, packs for those. Um, the only problem was that I didn't actually get any mics with them. Um, but one of the things that you can do with these AT packs is send a high impedance or low impedance line in to these packs. So one of the applications that I... So obviously you need this proprietary connector and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I just hucked in some little wires in there and uh, added in uh, just a mini jack onto there, um, a mono mini jack. And basically I can use it as wireless audio sending. And these things are running on 700 megahertz, so they're very, very solid. You've got 99 or 100 channels, 0 to 99, um, that you can use for anything. So one of the things that I did was um, we were doing a video conference uh, to a church in Bolivia. And so how... um, Because you needed to run a long audio cable. Yeah. Your original solution was to basically have a direct DI box plugged into the speaker outputs. Well, I'm thinking, you know what, that's not a great idea. It's not a great idea. But basically, yeah. I mean, we'd only have stage inputs going up to our mixer and in in line format. And the only outputs on the stage where basically the projector and the computer and the camera and all that will be set up sort of for the video conference... um, there were no out- outputs there besides this amplified output. So, I mean, and one thing that we could have done is just put on some gender changers on the ins and t- change them into outs and then sent a line out from the board. But, I mean, we didn't have that equipment on hand. So what I did is I just plugged this um, this mini jack into the mixer, um, put it in, just turned on this little AT pack, and I had a solid audio signal coming out of the mixer that I could then put into... Let's see what I did. Uh, I think I just... Uh, yeah, no, I put it into Firewire 410. And that went over Skype. Skype went to Bolivia, and it was it was really great. Everybody could participate. And uh, the whole sound system was being broadcast to Skype. And so, you know, there wasn't a need to use more than one mic. Everybody was heard very well. Obviously, the sound system in the in the in the church is is pretty good. So, I mean, the the sound is is going to be pretty good on their their end. 
and it worked really, really well. So really, that was, and I had no problems with that. So, mm-hmm. but obviously, I mean, if you have the chance to obtain mics for that, you would 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 be a good idea to get mics for the oh for the AT. Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, I don't. I'm not using wireless appels every day. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the situations where I'm going to be doing any of that. Uh, wireless probably... point-to-point audio is something that you would use more often. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm going to be moving towards in this uh, in this next production that we're doing for this Christmas is doing all our queuing with the director in the audience um, so that we can sort of improve the communication and and not sort of feel like we're being isolated from the director or and sort of... You know, get a better sense of what the show's going to be like from the audience perspective rather than being up in the booth and sort of, you know, getting hot and feeling bored. So what we're going to do is just set up this pack, plug it into the mixer. I can run my cues or set up cues, run cues, whatever I need to do, down on the, on the audience floor, at the audience level, and I don't have to go into the booth at all. I can just let things wirelessly broadcast. And so it should be really, really neat. So I have a pair of those. And the other thing that I got was um, the Telex USR... Was, I it was 100. The one, yeah, it's a 100. Are you saying 200 before? It's 100. Anyway, um, which, was, which included a, um, a uh, lapel. Um, as well as a, a handheld mic. And a pack and a handheld mic. Yeah. Um, they both ran, so you can only use one at, uh, one at a time. Both of them sort of seemed like the RF or whatever was just sort of being random. I don't know. The pack. The You're pack, saying that, like, upon further testing, all of the uh, all, all of the packs were, or the handheld mic were being, like, fuzzy. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, it uh, just wasn't the, crystal yeah. clear. The advantage of the Telex was that it uses a standard TA4F connector, which you can get whatever. a bit more commonly than... Then Audio Technica's proprietary four pin HRS. Yeah, I don't really care. No, well, I really don't, because I don't know. I can hook wires on whatever. Yeah, Kevin's all about the standardized connectors. I really could care less. Um, but wireless mics. That's what I had. Um, I actually packed up the Telex, and it's just like in a box. I don't even use it because what would I use it for? But yeah. Well, I mean, I would use a handheld mic more than I would use a pack, so that's why I got this instead right the pack would be much cheaper actually if i got a pack with the same system yeah and obviously you know i'm I'm just doing this sort of like wires into the connector there but you can also get uh special cables that you just plug into for guitars or other line-ins um and you can buy those from your store what uh how much time oh wow we're gonna half an hour okay mm-hmm. um let's just so during uh let's move on to computer yeah, updates. tbt well there's nothing to talk about really well you tried using your quad there? Yeah, no, no, no. We're doing a computer update. Yeah. Okay, so this moving on to technology today now. Um, yeah, so uh, sort of our Hackintosh update. Um, of course, the Hackintosh from before is the, the, is the uh, computer that Joel built. The quad core. Oh, the quad core. J-quad. Um, running uh, OS X86. Uh, so it's running a version of Mac OS X. Um so, yeah, it's been running very reliably for the past, uh, I don't know, two or three, four months. So you decided to try and use it in yeah, a Yeah, so we are going to use it show. in a production environment. Um, and so we set, because we were doing some pretty heavy video lifting, video lifting. And, of course, uh, his quad, he put a proper graphics card into it, unlike his MacBook, which is GMA 950. Yeah, well, I mean, it's So it would probably give a better performance. But anyway... Getting to the point of our story. Anyway, yeah, so I was using uh, 
so yeah, I brought my quad court school and set it up for the show. And yeah, we had no problems. We ran the rehearsal. Everything was good. Okay, so it's show day. And it shows at about 11.55. I'm there at about 11.20. And I'm booting up J-Quad. And I, don't, I, I had it overclocked with just sort of this Asus easy overclock or whatever, you know, whatever feature that is. You know, 30%. Just bump everything up 30% and get things running really fast. Um, okay. So I'm sitting there. I have a big DVI monitor connected. I have my VGA sending out to projectors. Nothing's booting up. Okay, projectors on. Overclock failed. So we all know that the Asus boards basically, whenever anything goes wrong, they just sort of like blame they just it reboot on. and then they say reboot. That. Tell you that you're overclocking. Yeah, even work. if even if you're not overclocking at all, if you, whatever, if, if you hit the failed, reset button, if you hit the reset button when it's posting, then it'll just say, "Oh, oh it's look. like what are you doing? You know, screw this. Quit overclocking. Get back to business." So. uh so it gives you options to reset to default values, which resets your BIOS, or to continue without doing anything sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, so you went to set... I was too default. lazy. I was like in a rush, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to just reset to the default values, whatever. We'll keep going. And no problems. Booted up. Went around the show. Show went off without a hitch besides some announcers doing the wrong order of the show but i mean whatever that's, that's not technological not our, <laughs> not our fault and we recovered well um so we packed up went home and tried to boot up jquad once it's back in its home under your desk nothing got nothing basically it wouldn't go literally it wouldn't do anything past like the boot it screen it would boot up the bios it would go to the the darwin bootloader booting os 10 uh, nothing reboot Okay. Um, okay. And then you realize that, like, so all basically, the settings of the BIOS were just uh, set to default, and they really wouldn't. Were, they weren't supposed, supposed to work. supposed to work. But it worked. Stop telling my story, Kevin. <laughs> so basically, I had my BIOS configured specifically. There are certain settings that Mac OS X will just not tolerate you having turned off. For example, you need to have. Um, the execution, basically hardware depth, to be enabled. And if you, by default, it's disabled in your BIOS. Yeah, the so, execution prevention, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the depth is just, you know, it's sort of an Intel thing. Helps your processes not explode into non-data areas. Anyway, whatever. So, basically, Mac OS X requires you have it turned on. So, basically, I just need to turn that on. But, of course... I decide to do it, you know, oh, we're going to restore OS ten from previous backup and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up messing things up and then realizing it was just the BIOS. And then after about four days, I finally got the thing working again. But my question is, why is it that it worked at 11.20 on show day? It doesn't make any sense to me. Because to me, reset to default values means reset to default values and boot with them. So... It's a mystery, but I'm thankful that the show just went because I don't think the show would have been quite the same if we didn't have our trusty J-Quad running the show. So that's our sort of story of the week and um, story of the Hackintosh. It's still working pretty well. Uh, I'm having some sleep issues. It's not going to sleep properly, probably because, I don't know, I just... Oh, but the power supply did explode. Um, this is the Antec. Um, <laughs> it's just, a, I can't remember the name of it. Antec something case. Uh, 
it's sort of this generic $500 case. Everybody sort of uses them for their Hackintosh sort of thing because it's cheap and it has a Well, actually, power it came supply. with your case, so you would didn't yeah, really... No, no, no. It includes a power supply. Yeah. Um, it's this EarthWatt's 500 watt. And for some reason, I turned... Basically, I turned off J-Quad with the power supply switch because it was sort of not waking up. So I'm just like, whatever, I have to leave power off. And then later... I try to turn the thing on, turn the power supply on, and I hit the power button, and I get this sizzling noise. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, that's not a very good noise. I'll turn this off and turn it on again. And then I sort of hear more zzzzing, and then sort of this the sound of, like, metal melting, sort of like, glug, 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 sort of thing, like a very quick, and then clink, and just like a sort of the... You know, the climax of the buzzing noise and then sort of this, this clink and then everything was like silent. And this odor of burning silicon sort of arises into the, my bedroom and sort of lingers in the air. And I'm like, ah. If, you ever, if you've done any hardware hacking at all, you yeah. probably know of, what the smell of yeah. letting the magic Sometime, smoke out is. Exactly. Sometimes like you get a product like, or if you pull out one of those like old electronics that you bought at Radio Shack from like the 70s and every, the whole box just smells like silicon because everything was just sort of manufactured and wasn't really, you know, whatever. It's sort of this smell and it just doesn't go away and my sister's like, what is it all? What are you doing? Something's burning. Anyway, so basically my power supply entirely exploded. Like, basically there was like this diode rattling around in like inside the box and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Anyway, uh, I filed a return, whatever you want to call it. It's a D-R-E-A, R-E-M. RMA. RMA with Antec. They want me to ship it to them. I'm like, you know what? I It's like a $50 power supply. It's pro- Actually, it's more like a $100 power supply. But, I mean, it's going to cost me 30 bucks to ship it. And then you're going to tell me that I didn't ship it right because I didn't put enough tissue in the box. And then they're going to ship it back to me and say, you know... Stop wasting our time. Give us 30 bucks for our time and blah, blah, blah. So it's going to cost me $60 and they're not going to fix it anyway. So I just got a power supply off Kevin. It's it's probably not enough wattage for my computer. I downclocked it again, so it's it's just normal stock. Um, Asus's website says, or Antec's website says, I'm within the normal wattage rating. But probably I'll be getting a new power supply in the near future. Mm-hmm. That would be the best idea. <laughs> um Okay, what are, what other computer updates? You've been building some PCs, and you had something blow up your USB drive? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, okay, so I was building computers for an insurance company, and basically uh, they insurance? have all... Insurance? I thought it was real estate. That's random. Anyways, continue. Yeah. No. And then, uh, basically, it's like, oh, we're using Pentium 3 450 megahertz machines on a 10-base T, like, thin net. That's, like, coaxial... RG58. Yay. And uh, basically, network traffic was really, really slow, <laughs> among, along with the fact that the computers were really slow. So people brought their own laptops, and uh, for, I, my like emergency solution was to just to huck some wireless routers in there and just get everything running at least on a fast Ethernet back between the servers and people's laptops. But uh, eventually, we still needed like corporate equipment. So I got around to building some machines and usually how basically how it works is i i personally buy the first batch of of hardware and then 
and then see how it goes. And then if everything goes well, then I ordered large quantities of them and then just have a build-a-thon on a weekend. And then basically that's how it goes. So um, on the, basically at the company, it's insurance to deal with a lot of pictures. So I was figuring, oh, let's put in a card reader, right? Because they think that the like memory cards are one-time use devices. They have... The card is either in the memory camera. Memory cards are film, right? It's well. They, I blame marketing for just marketing as like digital film because <laughs> all they do is like it's either in the camera or it's in the photo printer. And basically, they like throw out the card after. No, they don't throw it out. They file the card after you use it. They go and buy another card. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, you know, you you can just copy the files off the card. I mean, you, you there's no reason to be wasting two gigabyte cards every time. <laughs> so. Um, in the new machines, I included a card reader. Now, uh, card reader, I I was figuring just let's just get the cheapest card reader we can get. I didn't even know if it supported SDHC at the time, but uh, it was just this like generic one that they fit into your three and a half inch uh, floppy drive bay. I I made a vow. I said, okay, we're gonna just force people to not use floppies <laughs> and just not have a floppy drive in the computers. The so I put floppy drive. So I just replaced it with uh, a card reader. Anyway, you know how on internal motherboard uh, USB connections you have uh, a 7 pin connector which is uh, an 8 pin connector with one pin missing. And uh, usually on the cable side you also have that but with a key which means that if you you can't plug it in backwards However, you try it. However, this cable was really odd. It had no key. You could plug it in any way. Now, you're thinking, okay, I've seen IDE cables that don't have keys. I can plug it in. It doesn't work, but it doesn't blow anything up. Thing is, USB has power. And here, basically, you're flipping the data lines and the power lines. So ground is now 5 volts. And data minus is now data plus, and data plus is now data minus, and 5 volts is ground. So, very bad. <laughs> so, um, plugged it in, turned it on, okay, nothing. And the computer just boots, but it's like, oh, okay, this device does nothing. So, I was thinking, okay, this isn't good. I wonder if it's a card reader. So, I go in and take my USB key out of my pocket. It's on my keychain here. And uh, I figure I should just plug it in and see if it lights up. And I plug it in, and it doesn't line up. Then I figure, okay, let's try one of the other USB ports, the built-in ones on the case that I know are working. And I plug it in, and it's like, oh, okay, that doesn't work either. So I turn off the computer. I look at the connector again, and it's actually quite warm. The connector is warm. I would expect that to be because it's totally flipped over. And uh, basically realized at that point, okay, this is not good. And then I look at the cable more carefully. One side is keyed. The, the side that plugs into the card reader side is keyed. The card reader doesn't need a key. <laughs> but the motherboard side isn't, so I think they had a case of, like, flipping the wrong side, but whatever. Um, so I, I flipped it over, I fixed it, and this time the power light on the card reader came on, but it still wasn't reading any cards. My USB key was also not doing anything either, so I was like, okay, this is not good. Thank goodness I bought two card readers, because then I just basically went and swapped it with the other one, and yes, keep making sure that polarity was correct this time, and then uh, it worked. Actually, and it does support SDHC, and it supports Seagate microdrives, even the a- Apple-branded ones. So this is a, it's a pretty good card reader when it works, but uh, yeah. Got to be careful of the polarity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then my USB key is still dead, and I need to find another one. I'm not too worried about the data on it. 
I mean, Joel has been saying lately, or he said at some point where, like, with technology, now you have a way to, like, instantly lose all of your data after his, like, flash forager, like, blew up. Well, yeah, I've noticed that, I think, you know, this is just sort of a case with any device, any flash device, because basically, you know, there's certain bits there, you know, if they're missing, your flash drive is toast, but basically, uh... A couple of times, people were unplugging it while I was ejecting it, and it was just like, it will just trash the thing. What I think one time, what was it that happened? But it just like totally just got like fried, and all the data was just like gone. I had to do a full format before it would do anything. Anyways. So the two failure modes for USB drives, otherwise they're really durable. You either snap off the USB connector because I, because you hang too much stuff on it, like me, or... Uh, you dismount it improperly, or, like my case, you have bad power. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Sort of the soft. And I'm actually glad one. I didn't... Uh, it could have been worse. I mean, the USB controller on the motherboard could have blown up as well. And that would have been bad. Then I would have had to replace the motherboard, as well as, like, the card reader and everything. I'm glad I didn't come to that. I'm also disappointed in Kingston for not using USB fuses... Because Raychem makes oh, USB fuses, which self-reset. Oh, well. <laughs> whatever. As if you're getting... Well, Kingston... Yeah, anyway. Perhaps you should consider investing more than 20 bucks in your, uh, your reader. Anyway, okay. USB drives. Okay. Uh, telecommunications. Uh, I'm just going to mention... Because uh, I think we should wrap up here pretty soon because we're running in about 45 minutes. Um... Okay. Uh, Jay Cellular, um, I just found out that I actually get unlimited everything. Because um, you're on a prepaid plan, other than rather than being on a contract. Yeah, I'm on prepaid. And for a while there, they were charging me for outgoing text messages at 15 cents each. But I figured out that they just reverted to my actual original plan, where I pay nothing for outgoing messages, nothing for mobile web browsing, nothing for incoming. The only thing I pay is like five cents a minute for evenings and weekends, and 40 cents weekdays. Last time they sent out a memo was telling you that they would increase the rates on everything, and you sent a large, sent a, raging letter. It was to, like, you know what? I've been blah, 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 blah. And they were like, oh, this doesn't actually affect you because you're on prepaid. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> so um, basically, yeah, like my advice to you is if you have a good grandfathered plan, keep it because it's not coming back. And that's the same thing with all the telecommunications companies. Exactly. Like, you know tell us they, they'll, it, they'll but pay you anything. any company. I mean, if you think about, like, at the bank and stuff, like, they have all these, like, bank accounts that, like, basically, they can't just... Mm-hmm. They can't just say, oh, we're oh, going to kill your service now. We because can't just do this anymore. people will leave. Like, they yeah. honestly will, they'll just go somewhere else. So, if you have a bank account or whatever, just, like, keep it. Because, honestly, even if you just don't use it, like, probably with this phone, like, oh, I don't know what I'll do when it dies or whatever but basically you know you might as well keep it around um okay and do you have any comments on your north star system mm, well i've been spending an awful lot of time configuring it and basically um i kind of noticed that like half the places i go to in around town like they use north star everywhere like, it's the number one phone system. That's really true. Uh, second most popular is Panasonic, which which is kind of odd. But Panasonic. Panasonic is actually really cheap, which is why probably why people choose it. But Northstar is widely supported and everything. Um, basically, at school, I go and study basically how their network is set up so that I can apply it to mine because I am just getting into the 
phone stuff at this point. But you realize that it's really similar to networking, except like with just fewer pairs and a different terminology. But like the concepts of routing and and you know home running wires and even the hardware installation is all the same. Programming is good, so uh, yeah, it's uh, really reliable. And like I demonstrated at the beginning, it's uh, has like very low power draw. So if you're going to run it off a of UPS, it'll run forever on a UPS. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, there's some interesting. <laughs> Classic. We love the error tone, don't we? <laughs> uh, sort of uh, interesting things you can do with your uh, with your telephone system that you might not know about that Kevin knows because he's the expert. Um, I'm getting the feature codes memorized here. Okay, <laughs> random news. New MacBook, MacBook Pros. Um, big issue. MacBooks don't have FireWire. Comments. Is it FireWire 400 or is it FireWire okay. 800 only or are they just getting rid of FireWire altogether? Okay, here's what happens. Here's the, here's the current product line. You can buy a white plastic MacBook for something like, in Canada, like, Twelve ninety nine, like or yeah, around that eleven forty nine, sort of a base price of somewhere around the thousand dollar range, um, and it's basically what you with the super drive. You know, it's basically what you could have bought a month ago. No, oh, fairly high. Do the, do the modern MacBooks have any physical changes compared to the the last models? I know. Like, yeah. The, sorry, the, I'm just fin- let me finish describing line. Yeah. So that's the ba- that's you can buy that for very base. Then there's also the new MacBook design. So um, this is uh, along with the MacBook Pro. It's based on this new manufacturing process where they're actually um, machining a raw piece of aluminum and recycling sort of the uh, the cutaways and stuff so that it's a very efficient process. And so they're machining this into, into this so single piece of metal that's forming the entire uh, construction of sort of the top case and keyboard area of the notebook. So in doing this, they're creating a very solid structure that um, is very thin, very light, but very, very, very durable. So are they just using like CNC machines to just mill it out? And- they're using CNC machines. They're using um, lasers. I think they might even be using water. Maybe not. Maybe not. But um, definitely some pretty cool technology that's going into that. And they made a little video on their website. You can check it out uh, on to how these are being made. Anyway, so basically with the new MacBook and MacBook Pros, um, it's a very thin device. They've moved towards DisplayPort, uh, or actually Mini DisplayPort, I should say. The thing is, I'm thinking, why Mini DisplayPort? Okay, DisplayPort is on, tiny enough. Okay, hold on. <laughs> let's just talk about Firewire first. Um, so the MacBook, the new MacBook does not have a FireWire 400 or 800 port. The white ma- plastic ones still do. You can still buy that. Um, but the new MacBooks don't. They have much better graphics than the old plastic ones um, because they're actually using uh, a new chipset that's based that was created by NVIDIA, and the graphics is integrated into that entire notebook chipset. So definitely way better graphics, but you don't have a FireWire port if you're going to be doing any video or whatever you want to be doing off that. Um, so do they have a, a suitable replacement for FireWire? Because Apple introduced FireWire themselves mainly, right. and then now they're trying to phase it out in the yeah. usual Apple style. We yeah, need to move so, on, right? So, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's hard to tell because FireWire definitely looks quite promising, um, and obviously they understand that the professionals still use it because the MacBook Pro still has one FireWire 800 port, 
um, which is kind of inconvenient, I'd say, because I mean, obviously, you're going to need a cable that goes because it's it's wirely com- wirely, it's uh, electrically compatible. electrically compatible with 400. You can just have a cable that goes from your 800 to a 400 device. Um, there's no problem with that. Um, however, uh, you know, it's kind of inconvenient. But basically, um, I think with the case of FireWire, you know, it's pretty good. I think it works very well um, for for low latency, um, which is kind of what I get the sense that that's kind of what the Mac, you know, is always striving for. But really, it's had its fair share of issues, particularly to dealing with ports that are m- poorly manufactured, causing some shorts. Um, but really, what it comes down to is most of the time it's being used for video cameras that were running off DV. And as we move into a new sort of generation of video cameras, it's all based on hard drives and solid state, you know, memory cards or whatever. You're saving those files to a disk and then being transferred over USB to uh, USB 2.0 to your computer. Mm-hmm. So, just to point out that the power problems on FireWire are actually more serious than on USB because on USB you have five volts, but on FireWire you got thirty volts. So you have thirty volts, yeah. and so. You know, it's hard to say because obviously I have my Firewall 410. It's you know it's pretty good, and it's bus powered. You can't do a lot of bus powering over USB because it's just very low voltage. There's not a lot of you know it's 500 mega mega milliamps. Milliamps. Yeah. I wish it was 500. <laughs> la la la. No, uh, 500 milliamps. So there's not a ton you can do with it um, to sort of power things. You most of the time you need uh, some sort of adapter to do or that to use two USB ports in tandem. Yeah, well that's kind of you know. Shifty, because you're going to be running it off the same hub any or the same bus anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good well, anyway. Firewire was more designed for it's bus powering for things, bus powering whereas things. USB was designed to just like, oh, we're running your chipsets for your wireless microphone. I mean, for <laughs> USB <laughs> microphone. <laughs> yeah, you know, give some power for whatever little chips you need to run. Um, so, personally, I'm kind of disappointed. I'm probably going to be buying a MacBook Pro on my next laptop anyway because I. The MacBook Pro still has... You need the graphics. Okay. Well, that's what I'm sort of torn about because basically the new MacBooks have this, uh, I think it's called the 8500M or 8400, I think it's 8400M chipset, which is a very, like, basically they're saying it's like, you know, 80 times better than the GME. Well, obviously, Like, it's just like miles ahead because basically this chipset, which is running obviously all your hardware, uh, you know, your, your hard drive and all things, it's controlling the whole system is two-thirds graphics, which is a huge deal because I think in the new newer versions of Mac OS X are going to be taking advantage of these high-performance graphics processors. It's going to make a huge deal on the performance, overall performance of the system. Because uh, the performance of your system, like you have your CPU, which does the number crunching, but the video is what you deal with on a, right. on a daily basis. But, if that is snappy, but, then you can... But... Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Mac OS X Snow Leopard is actually going to be taking advantage of the graphics card as a high-performance processor, period. Not necessarily the graphics. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big deal because there could be significant improvements in, in number, just basic number crunching, not even having to do with video with this new OpenCL technology in Grand Central. So that should be fairly promising. Mm-hmm. But like what's we, really yeah, neat oh, is that yeah. the MacBook Pros are actually combining this 8400M chipset with a dedicated graphics chipset. So you have both, 
And it's sort of not clear. It doesn't sound like you can actually use them in in sort of a hybrid SLI mode, which is kind of like whatever Apple. But um, basically, you can switch in between, and you can actually use it for good battery power with the with the sort of the smaller chips at the 8400M. Or if you want to get ultimate graphics performance, you can bump it up to the 8600, I think it is, um, and get maximum graphics performance out of your MacBook Pro. So that's pretty neat. Um, and you still get the best of both worlds in there in your in your laptop. Because mm-hmm. um, you can see that like professionals still use these to run shows on in professional productions, oh, of course, and all that. So I mean, like if they started dropping all these all the main features that people were looking for, then there wouldn't be too much of a well, like, a large portion of the features. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so let's talk about Mini DisplayPort. So basically, Apple has said that they were, they're going to be moving forward with exclusively Mini DisplayPort on all their all, all their uh, hardware. So classically, Apple has used Mini everything on their MacBooks and well, thinner machines. I'd say classically, Apple has used all sorts of proprietary and semi-proprietary video technology. Ever since the PowerBook PowerBook 5300. Ever since, you know, it's always been Apple wants to do its own thing with video, which, you know, it's it's debatable either way. I mean, for me, I have this mini DVI port. I can do DVI or VGA or TV out of the same port, and it's a nice little port on my laptop. I don't have all this crap around it. And... Basically, I can switch in between quite easily, and it's it's quite nice. But on the other hand, you know, you need to buy the adapters or whatever, and a lot of times, you know, it, it, it can be a bit of a problem with that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Apple's really been pushing this new these new technologies, and I think we wouldn't be finding as much DVI on a lot of things if they hadn't used on them on their cinema displays. Yeah, I earlier. mean, these these guys were the first to come out with. Uh, using these new video technologies um, on their displays and everything. So, I mean, I think they are pushing the limits. And I definitely say that I don't think there's a lot of laptops out there that have mini DisplayPort or DisplayPort on them. Maybe HDMI, which is limited to HDTV resolutions, not really a g- great for displays. Well, if you're if you're going by, like, standard HDMI, then that's limited to HD resolutions. But most of the implementations, like if you're sourcing it from a computer, you'll it'll just be like DVI over HDMI with audio implemented in, inside it. So it's, you, most but of the time, you it's kind of non-standard. Like a 30-inch uh, cinema cinema display is like 2680 by something or something or other. Yeah, and that's higher than what the HDMI spec can offer. So yeah. that was Apple's reasoning, and that's why DisplayPort was created. DisplayPort was created. So, but Apple's DisplayPort- implementation is a mini DisplayPort. But my um, question is, why is there a mini DisplayPort? DisplayPort is the size of HDMI. It's like about the size of mini DVI. It's not even that big. Uh, it's USB sized. That's a good question. Um, I think Apple just wants you to buy more adapters. Probably, probably. But I think that uh, again, I mean, I don't know what the Display Port. Um, I mean, then again, like it might become a standard, like how Mini exactly. USB was totally a proprietary thing back when, yep. you, when you had B, but now everything uses it. Exactly. So, so you have to see we'll, which way it. You know, goes. as usual, Apple's really pushing the future, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens with uh, with this new technology. Um, I don't want to talk about iPod Touches, but basically, I want one. I'm going to buy one soon, but. I haven't bought yet. Um, PDF forms really suck. 
That's about all I have to say. <laughs> um, and Especially when you're using it on a reader. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Basically, if you're going to do PDF forms, get the real Adobe because it sucks if you don't. I've, I, luckily, my MacBook's been up for 15 days and 5 hours, 54 minutes, um, which allows me to keep this stupid Adobe reader open while I fill out this scholarship form. It's, it's really a party. My application pick of the month-ish plus a couple more months is a dashboard widget called QuickCal. Um, if, you got, if you've ever used Google Calendar and appreciate the quick ad feature, which lets you sort of s- enter text in a whatever English sort of style you want, you can say, go to lunch with Captain and Tennille... 12 p.m. tomorrow or next Thursday, and it'll figure out what you're talking about and make the event for you. QuickCal does the exact same thing, but it's for iCal. It integrates with the iCal store in uh, in macOS 10, Leopard, of course, and you can select whatever calendar you want, and this is my favorite part. You can make to-dos by simply saying to-do dash and the name of the to-do, you can even add a due date. You can do whatever you want, and it'll just huck it right into your iCal, and it pops up right away in your to-do list. I really love it. Um, it's still sort of being developed because there's a few things that don't quite work, like recurring events. You can say it, but it sort of doesn't do it properly. I don't know. But definitely worth a checkout if you like that kind of cool stuff. Um, visit website. I'm going to click right here. It's called smellpuppy.com. And you can click on the Quick Cal widget and download it. Oh, and apparently they just released 1.1. Um, Kevin, what is your pick of the week? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? Yeah. It's uh, doing lots of network administration lately. And uh, there are tools. Like, I've been working with tools which uh, basically uh, work with SNMP and check with everything. But uh, I still haven't really figured out something that really, really fits the needs there's these ones which are web-based, which are nice. You can access them from anywhere, but it's off-site. And to certain applications, you don't want stuff to be off-site. Most sysadmins want everything to be, like, under their control, not, like, shipped off. Not, like, to have like, the, your entire, like, network's information shipped off somewhere else because mm-hmm. that, that's a problem. But uh, And then there's always your executables, which, yeah, they're... They're not as full-featured as, as they could. Plus, you can't really access it from anywhere. But um, I'm, I've am i yet to see something which you can load onto a web server locally and uh, use it to just maintain the status of all your devices. But still looking around for that, That's that would be the major break and everything. Love to see something like that. But, yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know if I have any software picks okay. this week. But, yeah. Um, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, so that's uh, this has been the Duck Podcast episode eleven for October twenty. Well, okay, we twenty four, twenty five. Yeah. yeah, we started twenty fourth and finished in twenty five. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Joel Adria from J O L E dot C A. I'm Kevin Loud from HDR Networks, HDR.net. and this has been the Duck Podcast. Duck. Mm-hmm.